a grapefruit. 柚子。我把玩着一个又大又圆的柚子，金黄的一团，散发着苦涩的清香。用一把小刀就能。I'm holding a big round golden grapefruit that smells bitter. A small knife can cut through what seems to be thick skin. I'm starting to shiver in quiet pain. A life without pain is an unpicked fruit. It rots. I want to be a grapefruit cut by a knife or beaten apart. I'd rather be in pain and die in pain peacefully than watch my body rot with maggots squirming inside. This whole winter, I've been doing one thing repeatedly: peeling grapefruits one after another, absorbing the nutrients of my own death. Hi, I'm Kevin Larmer, editor in chief of Poets and Writers, and I'm Melissa Falvino, the associate editor of Poets and Writers. And this is Ampersand, the Poets and Writers podcast. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about translation. Yes,、uh, and that at the beginning was the translator Ming Di reading、uh, an excerpt of Lu Jia's Empty Chairs,、um, and we're going to be hearing a little bit more from her later.、Uh, this issue is our independent publishing issue, and this year we have a special focus on translation, which is something that we've really wanted to cover、uh, more in depth for a while now.、Um, Last year, I had the great pleasure of going to Bulgaria、uh, for the first time.、Um, I was invited by Elizabeth Kostova, who is a novelist, and she runs the Elizabeth Kostova Foundation. And they have this annual thing called the Sizopol Fiction Seminars. And I was invited to go over there and talk a little bit about poets and writers. And I met some really amazing Bulgarian writers、uh, and some editors and translators. And、uh, Jeremy Chamberlain,、um, who is one of our contributing editors,、uh, he's involved with that foundation. And I sat down. With him,、um, you know, over some coffee and talked about this idea of getting together some、uh, some articles and some interviews、uh, for this、uh, focused special section. And we stayed in touch about that for for about a year. And、um, I was invited back to Bulgaria、um, this time for the、uh, the first poetry conference that they were doing.、Um, so that was this past June. And this time I was in uh, Koprivnica. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that properly. Nailed it. And so Jeremy and I, you know, again sat down and and、uh, talked a little bit more in depth about this special section, and、um, it really came together. And the centerpiece of it is a roundtable interview that Jeremy conducted with the editors of some small presses that focus on translation. So in there is,、uh, you know, editors from、uh, New Directions, Two Lines Press,、uh, Open Letter Books,、uh, Europa Editions, and Archipelago Books. And、uh, it's a really interesting conversation, so definitely want to check that out. And the, the expanded interview is online.、Uh, for those of you who are afflicted with Ferrante fever, will probably recognize Europa editions.、Yep. I am I am in the thick of reading the Neapolitan、Excellent. series right now. You which, and、uh, you and a lot of other so many people,、um, <laughs> which you know is is pretty cool to read some contemporary fiction in translation, which is not something I do very often. Yeah, you know, and that's that's it feels. Really good and right to be doing this special section on,、um, you know, not only independent publishing, with, but with a focus on translation. Because, 
you know, I'll admit I'm, I'm certainly guilty of, you know, when I think about literature and when I think about the publishing business, um, I often, you know, start with writers and publishers who are um, in the United States and, you know, contemporary American writers. And uh, the fact is that, you know, there's a whole... There's a whole world out there. As we say in the special section, you know, the world is bigger than we imagine. Another independent press that publishes a lot of translation is Copper Canyon Press. Um, and the new installment of Agents and Editors features Michael Wiegers, the editor-in-chief of Copper Canyon. Right. And Copper Canyon is publishing a really exciting uh, book next year. It's called Then Come Back. It's a manuscript of lost poems by Pablo Neruda. Yeah. Super exciting. Mm -hmm. So um, Michael Zerban talked to Michael Wiegers out uh, at the Copper Canyon offices in Port Townsend, Washington. Um, and they talked about a lot of things, um, including translation. Michael Wiegers is also a translator, so they had a really interesting conversation. When did you first start translating poems? Um, I think I first started translating poems when, when I lived in Spain, and that was just more for... Yeah. out of personal curiosity and also trying to understand, but then also, it's like, yeah, how would I say this? And um, and then really when, you know, on a more professional level, when I first started editing um, Reversible Monuments with uh, Monica uh, de la Torre, she's like, well, why don't you try this? And it's like, okay. You know, I think my first my first response was like, no, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm the editor, I'm not, you know. And then I you know, started doing it and really loved it. Well, it's interesting to me that, on the one hand, as a reader of <laughs> poems, somebody who would engage with the work, you were saying earlier that you didn't have this, um, there wasn't that like threshold that you had to consciously step <laughs> over, um, but there was that with, with translating. The thing with translations is there's, there's always something to compare it against. Yeah, you know, so there's always the original to show you where you failed. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so what is it? Uh tradutore tratore, translator traitor. Um you know, the you you always know that that there you know, you're going to be held accountable to the original. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I think there there's an there's an element of that, but there's there's also just I think it was probably a little more self-consciousness and also being, you know, uh, perfectionistic and knowing that, no, I don't have this right. And, um, you know, I remember Forrest Gander tell me, it's just like, you know, at a certain point, just let it go and do not revisit it. Because, I mean, as a translator, you'll just, it seems to keep <laughs> revising and revising and revising. And, um, but I, I also, I love that process. But I also know that it takes... It takes a different mindset, and I need to really, you know, kind of close everything else out and down in order to, to, to get there. And and it it takes longer for me to kind of get into that role than it does for me to sit down and read a manuscript or to sit down. You know, I know that I I can go home this weekend and I can edit, you know, two or three books, um, whereas you know. In a weekend, I may struggle to translate one poem to my satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
Uh, it's just it, and but I love that that's something where I'm forced to slow down and be in this, you know, kind of again sacred space. Do you think that that has the act of learning to translate mm-hmm. and learning about the the challenge of actually mm-hmm. getting the the one poem done over mm-hmm. the weekend, say? Um, has given you any any insight into the work that you do as an editor? I mean, I've I've learned a lot through translation in in that there there's a book that that you know we've all read here that that we we love that was published by Paul Dry Books translated by uh, or written by a Mexican poet Gabriel Said um, called So Many Books, Publishing in an Age of Overabundance. And and it's not limited to just books, but there's just so much content out there in in the world that, yeah, sometimes I want things to slow down. And that's one of the things that I love about poetry is that, you know, it, it forces me um, to read and to be in, interrupted in a different way you know to slow down to pause to you know why is the line written that way i'm not going to read it like i do prose i'm going to consider the choices that are being made a lot more intensely than than i would with a book of prose and with with translation it's slowing it down even further it's like okay you know now i've got to switch i've got to switch you know linguistic brains too um and and then i've got to you know have the conversation between the two languages and and search you know i i sometimes have trouble searching for the right words in english so then to you know apply that you know to to spanish and trying to um search for you know the right words in a language that i'm far less gifted at you know it forces me to just trigger some synapses that that need triggering and I want you know, to, to engage. Do you ever feel the impulse to bring yourself in? How much do you make the, the translated poem your own? I think you have to make the translated poem its own. Um, hmm. So it's it's got to be a poem in the language you're translating into. Um, and... I would want that to happen without taking too many liberties, but to have have you know a poem that suggests the original um, at least. So, for example, you look at um, I'm trying to remember the poem that John Balaban um, translated. It's a Huswan Hung poem, and um, in the poem, you know, written in Vietnamese, which is what you know, I can't remember if it's eight tones or six tone language. Um, and so the tonal character of the language makes it sound like rain falling. You can't do that mm-hmm. in English, but he, he makes some other kind of um, vocabulary adjustments, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, in order to create the same sound while conveying the same sort of meaning. It's not an exact word-for-word verbatim translation but it's trying to bring forth some of some of the other characteristics mm-hmm. beyond the vocabulary you know to to make the poem more in parallel to the original so um so so yeah i think you've got to make you've got to make um some um impositions along the way um that are you know bringing you know your language to the original or the original to your language mm-hmm. It's always good in agents and editors to sort of get outside of the 
uh, New York publishing houses. Um, so I'm glad that uh, Michael Zurban was able to go to Washington and do that. Um, you know, a year ago, he went to Minneapolis and he interviewed Jeff Schatz of Grey Wolf Press, uh, which is another amazing independent publisher that does a lot of work in translation. They do. And one book that they have coming out in November that's really exciting is um, a poetry collection by the Chinese poet Lu Jia. Um, and Lu Jia is the wife of the poet and activist Lu Jia Bo, um, who is the imprisoned Nobel Peace Prize recipient. Um, and Lu Jia is currently under house arrest. Mm. Uh, so the book was translated by um, two, two translators, Ming Di and Jennifer Stern. Um, so we reached out to Grey Wolf. Grey Wolf put us in touch with Ming Di, who lives in California. And she recorded a few poems from the book in the original Chinese and in English. Um, so we're going to hear a little bit of that now. Poison. Fangao 我是这个世界的毒药看见白雪覆盖下大地正在腐烂的尸体尸体上蠕动的蛆别想用纯洁来欺骗我不要掩藏死亡不要人造的天堂伪天使们热烈的目光不如一根枯黄的稻草一只香
I am in over my head. Dear prisoner, dear, dear wounded, you have earned our respect. Dear glad hands, curbed dog, dear perfect object, the same night awaits us. Dear put upon, the day folds over and begins again. Dear bad animal, dear caged thing, there was something about you. The Current Isolationism In the half-light, I am most at home, my shadow as company. When I feel hot, I push a button to make it stop. I mean the stain on my mind, I can't get out. How human I seem. Like modern man, I traffic in extinction. I have a gift. Like an animal, I sustain. A flock of birds, when touched, I scatter. I won't approach until the back is turned. My heart betrays. I confess. I am afraid. How selfish of me. When there's no one here, I have the distance between our bodies infinitesimally. In this long passageway, I pose against the wallpaper, dig my heels in, catch the light. In my vision, the back door opens on a garden that is always in bloom. The dogs are chained so they can't attack like I know they want to. In the next yard over, honeybees swarm and their sound is huge. So Poetsmarters Live is in Portland on October 17th. So soon. I know, I can't wait to go back to Portland. Uh, I was there in August, it was my first time. It's an amazing city uh, and a lot of amazing writers there. Mm -hmm. And you know what else is amazing about Portland? <laughs> uh, the bookstores. Uh, Powell's in particular Powell's. Uh, is one of the best bookstores I've ever been to. Uh, and I've been to a lot of them. <laughs> I went to Powell's and I did not, I was not expecting to spend that much money. But <laughs> <laughs> I bought a lot of books. I should have brought another bag. Um, I bought a lot of books, and one of the books I bought was a first edition of Marilyn Robinson's Housekeeping. Such a good book. Such a great book. And, of course, she's on the cover of the new issue. She is. There's a profile of Marilyn uh, yep. by Kevin Nance. Yep. Uh, she's got a book of essays coming out. That's right, The Givenness of Things, yep. uh, published by FSG. Uh, but we're going back to Portland, and you know we'll be at the Pacific Northwest College of Art. And um, we got a... Pretty great lineup. Killer lineup. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people who are in this issue are going to be there. Uh, Andrew Proctor of Literary Arts is going to be there. Betsy Amster, who's an agent, she's going to be there. Arthur Bradford, mm -hmm. Mindy Netafee, who has one of the best names ever, I think. Mindy Netafee. I just Nettifee. like to say your name, Mindy, Mindy Netafee. We were in Chicago in June. We were in Chicago, yes. That um, went really well. Yeah, that was awesome. Yep. 
And Lee Young Lee delivered the uh, keynote address. Yes, it was excellent. Yes. Uh, and I think we're going to listen to a little bit of that now, right? We are. All right. I have been trying to write this poem my whole life. And the irony is going to be when I read it to you, you're going to say, man, that was, te- that, that's it? And, it, it? and, you know, I have to live with that. Um, but I got ready to write this poem I feel like the day I was born, you know, the day I fell in love with my mother, I, I, I wanted to say these things. And here's a th- some of the things that are surrounding this poem. Uh, I, I wrestle with, uh, I wake up every morning a little terrified, uh, kind of on the verge of being like satisfied and not, and, and I can't understand what that's about, but then uh, I avoid the news because it's depressing. Uh, I avoid newspapers because it's uh, depressing, and uh, uh, I, I do a lot of reading, uh, a lot of writing, and uh, what I think about are things like um, measure, and, you know, like what is measure, and because I write poems, and uh, I write verse specifically, so I think can, when you measure something, you are comparing something against a standard, right? So I think that standard has to be unmoving, unchanging immune to violence and death. That's a definition of the sacred. So my question is, and this is what obsesses me all day long and terrifies me, and I can't explain why. Um, I think if there isn't a sacred that is an immutable, unmoving something, there's nothing to measure against. All measuring is measuring against something, right? So then I think, okay, what is that thing? So that terrifies me. I can't answer that. The other thing that terrifies me is this. The language of Eros and the language of spiritus, I don't know what you want to call it. The language of Eros, that is the body, and the language of the spirit, uh, I like it when they collide. Uh, That's my own obsession. And I'm very interested in love and war. Uh, I, I feel as if a poet, if you're serious about writing a poem, you need to study love and war. You need to be capable of love and war. War is problematic. Uh, we could talk about that. But I just, I'm, now I'm going to read you this poem. You're going to say, none of that made it into this poem. <laughs> but th- there you have it. Uh, okay. Here we go. This is, it's, it's very short. <laughs> I loved you. Before I was born, it doesn't make sense, I know. I saw your eyes before I had eyes to see, and I have lived longing for your every look ever since. That longing entered time as this body, and the longing grew as this body waxed, and the longing grows as this body wanes. That longing will outlive this body. I loved you before I was born. It makes no sense, I know. Long before eternity, I caught a glimpse of your neck and shoulders, your ankles and toes, And I've been lonely for you from that instant. That loneliness appeared on earth as this body. 
and my share of time has been nothing but your name outrunning my ever saying it clearly. Your face fleeing my ever kissing it firmly once on the mouth. In longing, I am most myself, wrapped, my lamp mortal, my light hidden and singing. I give you my blank heart. Please write on it what you wish. Thank you. My son, my executioner. My son, my executioner, I take you in my arms, quiet and small and just a stir, and whom my body warms. Sweet death, small son, our instrument of immortality, your cries and hungers document our bodily decay. We, twenty-five and twenty-two, who seemed to live forever, observe enduring life in you and start to die together. That was Donald Hall reading My Son, My Executioner, and we have an essay from him uh, in the new issue, and he's got a a selected poems coming out from uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt uh, in December, and um, he wrote an essay about sort of the process of selecting those poems, and also, it's a, it's a really touching essay about, you know, his life with Jane Kenyon. Um, Jane Kenyon, of course, was a, a poet who um, died in 1995 of leukemia. And um, Donald Hall writes about, you know, just how they kind of worked together as two poets uh, and how they shared work with each other. And uh, it's a really, I can't quite get through. We had to read that essay a lot um, during the production process, and I can't get through it without a little lump in my throat. No, I definitely Um, teared up every time I had to read it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and now we're going to listen to uh, Donald Hall read Her Garden, which is also included in Selected Poems. Her Garden. I let her garden go. Let it go. Let it go. How can I watch the hummingbird hover to sip with its beak's tip the purple bee balm whirring as we heard it years ago? The weeds rise rank and thick. Let it go, let it go. Where annuals grew and burdock grows. Where standing she at once could see the peony, the lily, and the rose rise over brick She'd laid in patterns. Moth, let it go, let it go. Turns the bricks green, softening them. By the gray rocks, where hollyhocks, that lofted while she lived, stem by tall stem, blossom with loss.
So next stop on the Poets and Writers Live Tour is uh, Austin, Texas in January. Right, January 9th at the Blanton Museum of Art. The theme will be inspiration and uh, will coincide with our annual inspiration issue. Mm-hmm. I am inspired already. So am I. And we're like four months out. So Just imagine wait. what it's going to be like in early January. It's going to be, it's going to be so much inspiration. We're going to just rain inspiration down <laughs> on Texas is what we're going to do. <laughs> so uh, tune in next time uh, to the next episode of yep. Ampersand, and yep. we'll be talking about Texas and inspiration. And, uh, and who knows what else? Who knows? All right, next time. On Ampersand. The Poets Runners Podcast. Ampersand is a production of Poets and Writers, Inc., the nation's largest nonprofit organization serving creative writers. Ampersand is edited by Melissa Falavino with production assistance from Jonathan Walsh. Music for this episode was provided by Poddington Bear, Graham Bull, Maya Solovey, and Yasna Voices, the New York Bulgarian Women's Choir. Previous episodes of Ampersand can be found on SoundCloud and Stitcher, or on our website, where you can also check out photos, articles, and ephemera for each episode, including the full interview with Michael Wiegers and more poems from Ming Di and Camille Rankin at pw.org forward slash ampersand. <laughs>